There are a lot of reasons not to start a nonprofit. We are busy, we're frazzled, we have lots of things demanding our attention, and this is not necessarily a logic-based decision. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have such a cool guest to share with you today. His name is Christian LaFer, and he is the CEO and founder of Instant nonprofit.com, which is a turnkey service to turn your desire to make a difference in the world into an IRS approved 501c3 nonprofit in a fraction of the time and cost. And we're going to get into that. But his mission is to help founders stay on mission and raise funds by providing the path to form and grow a 501c3 nonprofit according to your vision and calling he has been interviewed by some of the top business podcasts in the world. He's been a consultant and trainer for top nonprofit executives. He's done it all in the nonprofit world. And we're going to have a really fun conversation today. And if you're thinking, eh, I don't need a nonprofit, this might really change your mind. Christian, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is awesome to have you here with us today. Thank you, Richard. I am super excited to be here. And we have just vibed on so many levels prior to today that uh, I can't wait to see what unfolds. We're going to have a lot of fun. And, and I want to go back in time, use our Daily Helping Time Machine here a little bit and talk to us about what got you started on your journey. What was your inspiring spark? What got you on the path you're on today? Well, I may be the last person who would have been you know, interested in starting a 501c3 starting nonprofit enabling uh, company because there's a lot of paperwork involved and I hate paperwork. So, but it really goes back to when I was about seven, eight years old, my mom came to me and told me that my sister who was almost four, the reason she wasn't speaking yet was because she never would. She was developmentally disabled. And so I just said, okay, well, that's great. You know, she's my sister and, you know, went to, went to play with my friends. And I soon found myself going to Special Olympics events, et cetera, um, not really knowing they were nonprofits, but just being amazed that there were all these things for my sister to be involved in. And then, you know, I grew up and around 2009 or 10, I uh, had the opportunity to start a nonprofit with a few friends for a project. And I delved into the process. And when I called the IRS and they kind of said, well, you know, cool your heels, kind of don't be, don't try to rush this because it's going to take a long time for you to get approval. And then I saw all of the obstacles presented to people like those who started a Special Olympics and all these other groups. There are so many obstacles to somebody who wanted to do good 
where starting a used car lot or any other business, which I honor that too, is easy in comparison. I became morally outraged. And so I took the sheet of paper with the agent's name on it and phone number. And when they didn't pick up the phone, and of course they were really hard to get a hold of, I called about 20 extensions north and south by just kind of changing the last two numbers, knowing I'd probably get somebody at the IRS. And I grilled, begged, pleaded, cajoled, tried to bribe with chocolates, whatever I needed to do to find out what makes a great file, what is an impediment to a fast approval, what would make that person feel good? What would make their day as a bureaucrat sitting there with clusters of files coming in every day, all day? And I curated that into a process I called a love letter to a bureaucrat. And so I sent the love letter to the bureaucrat in and it had table of contents and cover, you know, cover pages. And it was just extremely well organized, like I actually cared about that person's job. And I got a 60-day approval. And so I realized other people were running into the same problem. And I quickly went from blogger to businessman because people sought me out to do this for them. And here you go. Here we are. So, and I wrote this down and circled it morally outraged. I love that. But it's interesting the, the way you did it, the way you worked the IRS phone tree to get this information. So simply sitting here and and you know that I have a nonprofit, so I 100% believe in what you do. And it certainly took longer than 60 days to get my approval. But if somebody's sitting here and they're like, you know, I've got a job, I like my job, or they're an entrepreneur and they're saying, you know, I've got too much on my plate. Talk to us about why nonprofits. Well, if you think about, uh, you know, most people are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy, right? We start at the bottom and it's about food, water, shelter, and then there are these levels. And ultimately, our desire, once we get freed of those basic needs, our desires go up the scale from belonging and love and all of those things to self-actualization, right? What is my purpose here? And today, I think people are more conscious than ever about finding their purpose, right? And there's lots of people saying, find your purpose, do this, do that. And we're all wondering what that purpose is. And it is often born in a moment from early childhood, like my, my moment when I was eight years old, not knowing that uh, back then, that helped to drive my purpose. And so nowadays, people can start companies, right? Entrepreneurs can start companies much easier than they ever have been able to do. And so why can't people start the cause that they believe in and and come at it with their own unique DNA in the easiest way possible so that it's not a burden and it's not a hassle to feed, you know, if, if there's a feral cat problem in your neighborhood, who better than you who understands and cares about animals to start that? Or if you have, if you're a successful entrepreneur, you've helped people in a way that, other people can can learn from and you can apply that to some a literacy program or, or or teaching entrepreneurship to the disadvantaged. So what our job here is to do is to lower the barriers to expressing that cause and expressing because we all get into our businesses from somewhere deep in the heart. There's always a there's always a driving thing that we're trying to solve. And so once we have what we need and we've moved up Maslow's hierarchy out of, you know, got to pay the bills and we have everything that, that we need from a temporal standpoint, many, many people start going, okay, what can I do? Even if I still have the job, even if I still have the business to feel like I'm contributing to a better future. And I think that's, 
something that uh, is exciting to empower because it could be part-time, it could be full-time. It could give you your kids and family something to do and, and something to rally around in a world where it's really hard to get disconnected. So there are all kinds of reasons that people can find if we just lower those bureaucratic barriers and then empower heart-centered people with the business skills they need to succeed in a nonprofit. That's so well said, Christian. And I think one of the overlooked aspects of nonprofits, particularly if you own another business, is the potential synergy of tying them into each other because you've got a business Absolutely. and that's, and you've got a nonprofit. And if you put them together, that's like chocolate and peanut butter. It really is. It really is. I've been developing this idea. I call the nonprofit, the quantum entity. And the reason I call it the quantum entity, if you're familiar with quantum physics, or quantum mechanics at all, there's this idea of superpositioning where uh, something can occupy two states at the same time. And there's the particle and the wave, right? The energy and the, the photon's a great example. And so you can superposition your life, your legacy, and your future through, through a nonprofit because it allows you to operate in a way that is not constrained by the traditional you know, constraints of, of, of business. And I'll give you one really quick example. Uh, people who want to be around other amazing people who are cause-centered, you're not necessarily going to find those as a, at a, now you could, right? I've met plenty of friends at business meetups, but it's always like, what's the angle, right? You're there for a business purpose. But if I want to meet someone who is just doing world changing stuff today, I'm not going to go try to meet them at a business function or, or an event because everyone else there is pitching them too. I'm going to go to a nonprofit event because that in a cause that I'm aligned with, with that person. Could be a great example, Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss isn't even investing in companies anymore. So if I were to try to pitch Tim Ferriss or meet him, I would just wanna hang out with Tim Ferriss and not really talk business. But if I were to go to a MAPS event or an event where it's a nonprofit involved with Tim's passion, which is using psychedelics to help people heal from PTSD, et cetera, and he knew that there was that cause alignment, all of those barriers to the conversation drop and we're able to really connect on a much deeper level. And I have just super positioned myself into an entirely different echelon of people who are aligned in that way as well. And they're not looking at how successful you are or whether you are in the same tribe as them, because that's another tribe that occupies a really different realm and it's a heart-centered realm and all of those other things just melt away. That's a great example. I, and I wonder as well, because there's two things that are popping up in my head because I love to play the devil's advocate. And, and I know you're going to have awesome answers to this. So number one, somebody who, whether they work 40 to 60 or they own a business, the first question is time. And so you've done a really great job describing how you kind of hacked the IRS's methodologies to find the <laughs> optimal way to get a 501c3 authorized or approved, yeah, I think approved. Is the, yep. the proper word. What kind of a time commitment minimally uh, would an individual really have to put forward in your experience to make a nonprofit work? And I know that's a bit of a loaded question, but let's start, let's start there and see what unfolds. Well, of course, there are all manner of making something work, right? Manifesting something from a baby organization or company, right? And a nonprofit's really just another entity type. And the product is 
this value, right? Versus a, a widget. And, and it's about, there's two stages. There's starting the nonprofit and then there's gestating, you know, sort of growing and, and developing the nonprofit. As far as starting the nonprofit with instant nonprofit, we have boiled down what the IRS has called in the past, you know, a 50 hour exercise uh, into a, about a 20 minute to 90 minute onboarding session. And the, the majority of our customers who just like small businesses, they start small and they're able to complete the process if they have a modest budget uh, in about 20 minutes. But if you're, if you're looking to, to go big, it could be an hour, it could be 90 minutes because what we've done is gotten all of the bureaucratic speak out of the way and ask questions in English and in an understandable level of language. And then we take care of everything for you, right? So people don't have to encounter government forms and all of that stuff. So that's the time commitment to start the nonprofit. And then our job is to help uh, you develop your nonprofit by knocking down, you know, I like to say we like to, you know, beat down all the speed bumps for you on the, the way to success as well. And, and for example, one, one of the main ways is that initial board meeting and subsequent board meeting, the average research shows the average board meetings like three hours, even for people who are experienced board members and, and leaders. We have a nine step video with a matching nine step agenda download and a mindset document called how to run your board minute, uh, board meeting in 30 minutes instead of three hours. And it, uh, it, it gives some tactics and techniques so that your board members cannot be sitting in meetings, but they can be out there engaging, their do- engaging donors, being ambassadors for the organization, which is their real unique DNA, not sitting in a board meeting, listening to an endless report or bantering back and forth about something that can be done out, out in a committee. So all of those, there are a number of these things that are impediments to growing a nonprofit that we have systemized or otherwise helped people to eliminate, delegate, and make more efficient so that they can stay focused on that one thing that you, no one else can do for you, no one else can systemize or anything, and that is getting your mission out there and executing your mission. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. So that makes me think of another question. You know, we've figured 20 to 90 on the front end, a one-time deal, 30 minutes a year for these board meetings or quarterly, however often you're supposed to have them. The next question, you mentioned ambassadors. Because if somebody is a mom or dad, working parents, whether they own the business or or not, time is of the essence. And it would seem to me that getting ambassadors, getting people fired up about your cause, 
kind of waving your flag for you is probably a really smart idea and a great way to grow your 501c3. So give us a few tips as to how to find these ambassadors, how to engage them, and how to get them to spread your work, spread the work that you're doing. I call that, uh, you know, you've heard the old adage, if you give someone a fish, they eat for a day, teach them to fish, they eat for a lifetime. We like to call it teaching other people to fish for you, right? Those ambassadors. And one of the best ways, really, I think the best way to, to enable people to do that is to spend the time, and there is a time commitment, and nothing worthwhile you know, is, is easy, but uh, it, can be, it can be simple. And that is to spend time boiling down, and this is true in so many domains in life, boiling down what you're doing, why it's important, and why it's going to be transformative for that donor. And uh, we, we do that with a process that we call, you know, building your case for support. And we are just about to release a masterclass, a major gifts masterclass, and a major gifts challenge to go with that, helping people to very quickly go from their origin story, their story that I was eight years old, and understanding that that unique DNA will help them in a process to develop very quickly a case for support, which is a short document that is super crisp, super concise, and that anyone can then become an ambassador, right? You're not giving them an annual report that's 50 pages. In this day and age, it's like business plans. It used to be 20 pages. You better have a one-page memo if you want anyone to consider investing in your business or doing business with you. Same thing here. You start with a tweet level, but the tweet level comes at the end. Mark Twain once said, I sat down to write a short letter, but I didn't have time, so I wrote a long one instead. It's about taking all of those ideas, putting, getting them down, and then boiling them down to something that others can carry with passion and with simplicity to the people in their circles. I love this a lot. And, and I've got some more fun questions as I keep thinking about these things. So great. I want to shift a little bit towards revenue generation through a nonprofit, which sounds counterintuitive, but I know that you know, people can get paid for doing this It's an work. unfortunate term, yes. <laughs> and then the next thing I have secondary to that is, you know, you mentioned earlier, maybe creating something that a family can rally around. So if your significant other wants to really dig into this uh, and or you want to hire family members or even involve your kids, I wonder if you could take a few moments and kind of walk us through you know, how this works from a revenue standpoint, how to best involve family. You know, so let's do that stuff because that's, that's exciting. Let's look at it from the one end of the telescope. About $400 billion per year is given to nonprofits from individuals and corporations every year. Ultimately, if you add government grants, it's in the trillions. There are $4.3 trillion in assets out there held by 501c3s. There is money available at all levels from the, the point of sale at your local grocery store, we're all experiencing that, all the way to big major grant, you know, grant writers and, and donors and, of course, the government. So I don't look at the resources as, as the challenge. It's, it's finding out what, what your model is and, and what works for you. But if you flip that telescope around and, and come from the other side, 
there are a lot of misconceptions out there about what a nonprofit can and cannot do. And one of the main ones is, oh, well, if I'm a director, if I'm a deciding board member who votes on what the organization does and determines its direction, I can't get paid. Well, that's technically true. You can't get paid as a director, but you can take, I look at it as three hats on a table. You'd never wear two hats because you'd kind of look silly. One hat is a director hat. One hat is an officer hat. One hat is a staff hat. And early on, you may be the bookkeeper that does the work and punches the keys and into QuickBooks, and you can get paid for that as a staff member. You take that hat off, you put on the officer hat, you're now the treasurer, you're reading the treasurer's report you've prepared into the record at the board of directors meeting, where you then take off the officer hat and you put on the director hat and you help make those decisions guiding that organization towards its mission. You are being paid as staff, you are a volunteer for a director and an officer. And so that's one misconception and that can help clear up a lot of things. The other one is that uh, family members can't be on the board together because there's a conflict. Well, as long as that conflict is properly disclosed and you have a conflict of interest policy you're adhering to, which of course we provide absolutely 100% of everything anyone needs, including that, you can have family members uh, on your board and uh, even a majority. Uh, you do have to disclose that and have provisions to prevent conflict of interest so that people, they're basically, the IRS is charged with preventing you from steering business or steering contracts in a way that would, what's called inure benefit to any individual or corporation. As long as you steer clear of that, those are permissible. So that means that this can create something for your family to be involved in and uh, do great things. A great example is sports figures who make it and, and become famous. Many of their families, their wives will end up running a nonprofit. They have the voice, they have the public profile over here, and they have a very passionate, purpose-driven family member uh, doing the grunt work and being the executive director and getting out there and making that mission happen. Perfectly fine. I wonder if you could talk to us as well about how the nonprofit world has been impacted in the past year with the pandemic? Because we know what it's done in the corporate space, uh, but I've never had anybody on the show to talk to us about what it's done in the nonprofit space. That is a great question. I'm so glad you asked that because it's like if, if you read about the Great Depression, uh, there were fortunes made and many of the companies that you would look at as, as the major companies in, you know, going into the 20th century and then through the 20th century came out of right what looked like privation and, and scarcity and everything in the depression because these kinds of dislocations of the economy create massive opportunities for people who can recognize the changing needs and the changing sensibilities uh, of, of the humans involved in deciding how to meet those needs and there is no better example than, than covid and and the the virus it's caused people to rethink how they're allocating resources into big organizations and into, you know, kind of doing the same old thing all the time. We've kind of been shaken in a way that has caused many, many donors, philanthropists, family offices, grant makers, and even your local individual working mom, dad, and, and students, even millennials who donate at a rate of like 80% of millennials at least make small donations. It's unprecedented. These people are all deciding differently. How can I have a more of a direct impact on my community 
in a way that I can tell what's going on. I can feel what's going on. So they might not write that huge check to the United Way where they might feel disconnected from the benefits of, of, and the effect of that money. They might decide that your approach and your local, you know, smaller or, or more targeted community effort is the place to go because of the reevaluation of how they allocate their philanthropic resources. So it's a huge area of opportunity and also people's needs have changed. Entire industries have been dislocated. Those people need services. People have been isolated from each other. There's depression and there's all kinds of social effects that have happened because of this. And there are nonprofits that are rushing in to meet that need. And, and maybe some people listening right now are involved in some of those efforts or see an effort in their community in their unique way that they are qualified or they know someone who's qualified to address. So COVID has not only unleashed many more billions of dollars in grants that weren't there before, but they've, it's also provided alternative paths to obtaining that money and applying that money, which provides huge opportunities for social entrepreneurs everywhere. Really interesting. There was something you said that caught my ear. You said 80% of millennials in some form or another donate to charities they're passionate about. I got to ask, what are the stats on you know, the, the Gen Xers and the boomers? How, what are the, how does that differentiate? You know, I don't know. And, and I'm sorry. Uh, in late 2020, I have a study in front of me that says it's only, you know, 75% of millennials, but uh, have donated money during the pandemic, for example. I don't have it broken down by, by generation, but I can tell you that for all, the, uh, for all the flack millennials get, they are seeking to, to have meaning, right? We've become unmoored from all of those things that we've lashed our identity to over the years. Uh, uh, alumni, you know, what college we went to, what family or what lineage we have or whatever. And, and those things have, have what church we go to, right? Church attendance is down. Trust in government is down. Trust in a lot of institutions is way down. So uh, young people are looking, well, how can I define myself? What, what makes me me? And it's, it's the values, right? I call this the convergence of cause and commerce. And so we've seen an uptick. If you, the younger you go, the more of an uptick that you see in general participation in charitable causes. And even if you look at one of my big, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek, and he talks about how at a certain point, money doesn't matter to millennials any longer. The meaning of their job matters and the connection with the community at work matters. And so a raise is less powerful than an initiative to connect. And this has been shown in so many studies. If you are an entrepreneur, if you do have a business or, a, or even a nonprofit, right, which is a job to someone, and you connect them with a meaningful social enterprise activity as part of a work program, your retention goes through the roof, job satisfaction goes through the roof, and it even makes economic sense because raises are less important and have less potency than connecting people with something that gives meaning to their lives. So that is exciting and it bodes well for the future in the face of so many, you know, if it bleeds, it leads on the news. So, so many negative things out there. There are so many positive things going on that we need to understand and exploit 
And that's why I've turned off the news entirely in my life. And I very carefully curate what I take in because there are bright spots out there. We need to find them, get in those crevices and cracks and exploit them and bring an entirely new way of thinking about these things to the world because the old model is done. I feel like we're almost, that was almost a mic drop moment but the old model is done. A lot of people are saying that, and it seems to me like nonprofits can be part of the new model. It sounds like, you know, the way you described it, it sounds like there are insulary benefits to having a nonprofit financially, and then you get all those other awesome things you talked about. So, sure. So as a, here's a great way to engage your employees. Say you're a nonprofit. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but this is so exciting. Say you're an entrepreneur and you have a retention problem, or you have attracting the ideal uh, employee problem, which don't we all. Starting your own nonprofit by having your employees contribute to a process to decide on a cause and decide how they'd like to address that cause will give you so much buy-in with your employees and a new level of excitement and a new whole purpose to their job with, with you and your company that it could change the game for employees who feel burned out, employees who are uncertain about the economy, because their concern, research also shows, your employees' concern about your business's prospects is a major factor in them looking around at, a, at an environment where hiring is, is going through the roof. Well, you better keep those good people. And one of the ways you can do that is by attaching them to a cause. Why not create that cause and then have them decide what that cause is going to be and how to approach it and use your awesome entrepreneurial business building skills to develop them into the people that they want to be through that exercise. I think that is awesome. And I'm seeing that more and more where we're getting calls at instantonprofit.com about, I own a business, I got this idea, and, and how do I make this work synergistically with my company? And that's one of the things we can advise on. So, so awesome. Very, very exciting. This time together, Christian, has flown by, but you've given us so many good things to think about. I've written down a gazillion of them. We're at the end, but as you know, I love to wrap up every episode by asking my guests this one thing, a single question. What is your biggest helping, the most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? I think the biggest thing that I would offer is that there are a lot of reasons not to start a nonprofit or not to start anything. We are busy, we're frazzled, we have lots of things demanding our attention. And this is not necessarily a logic-based decision, right? To get involved in a cause. It's kind of like falling in love. It's kind of like meeting a new person. It's not about finding the right person and speed dating. It's about finding and just spending a little bit of time with your own heart and deciding what is going to be that thing that I want to have on my epitaph. I have people say about me, what would I like to be known for if there were no other constraints? And if the answer is to give back to the community in some way, and there isn't an avenue, if there is an avenue, by all means, go help that nonprofit and, and join that cause and push it forward. But if it's not being addressed in a way that you believe is, is important, and it's very much a heart you know, it's a, it's a decision that's made in, in the middle of the heart and in, in, in quiet and in sort of contemplation about what would you like your life to be known for? What would you like your life to mean? And if that isn't answered, then there is an avenue to express that 
And anybody who wants to get more information, we've got great gifts about exploring those ideas at instantonprofit.com slash podcast fan. And uh, we'll ask you where you heard about us. And I hope you talk about Dr. Richard uh, and let us know because it's really important that we know how we're connecting with people. We are there to help you. So that is the biggest thing I can offer in response to that question. Awesome. And we will, of course, have those links at the show notes at thedailyhelping.com. So we've got you all covered there. Christian, this has been so good. Thank you so much for being with us today on The Daily Helping. I loved our discussion. I loved it. I super enjoyed it as always. And I look forward to seeing you again soon and uh, let us know what we can do to help. Absolutely. And thank each and every one of you as well for listening to our conversation today. If you like what you heard, go give us a subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the podcast. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 